Coming to you from New York City. This week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Yeah, the internet was burning up with that dress, dude. Yeah, yeah, everywhere. They loved it. They can. That was. It was. It was insane. How like we were all that chick's lame friends for like <laughs> three days. The internet was just that chick's lame ass friends who we just had to have a conversation about Becky's stupid dress. But it was, you know, Becky had a fascinating dress. She did. Becky's dress, you know, literally, like Kim Kardashian was talking about breaking the internet, but this was like, this, <laughs> she did it. <laughs> Becky did it. Oh, that's so true. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Ben Kissel, joined by Mike Coscarelli. Today's guest is Kevin Barnett. Thanks for being here, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for having me. The internet was aflame this week. Everyone went absolutely crazy for what was it the pending war with isis in the middle east no was it our debt crisis 18 trillion dollars no it was about a goddamn dress it was a dress man but the thing about the dress was it taught us a lot about ourselves i think it really did okay for those for those living under a rock or people living in idaho or something um the uh there was a dress that was posted online it was like what color is it a lot of people saw it as white and gold and then other people saw it accurately as black and blue i am of the camp of white and gold that's what i initially saw it as but then once i realized it was black and blue i took another look and I saw it as black and blue, and now I can't see it as uh, white and gold again. It's terrible. It's like the first time I watched the movie It, and I was terrified, and then I watched it again, and I laughed, and now I can never be scared from that movie ever again. It ruined the entire thing for me. I had a coming-of-age moment when I realized it wasn't white and gold. It was blue and black, and I'm never going to go back to those old white and gold glory days. <laughs> I'm livid. Somehow the opposite happened with me. I don't understand. I saw it blue and black the uh -huh. first time I looked at it, and everybody else in the room and everybody else in the office was like, it's white and gold, and they were calling me and one other dude crazy for seeing it as blue and black, but it was right. so clearly blue and black. And then I go back today, this morning, and I was reading an article about it, and it was talking about perspective and how the background can change and all that shit. Right. And they were saying how it literally is blue and black, 100%. The company confirmed it, and if you put it against neutral backgrounds, it's always going to be blue and black. Right. But then- I saw it as white and gold, and now I can't see it as blue and black anymore. This is bigger than a dress. This is larger than just some internet uh, phenomenon. This plays into the larger problems that we have in the criminal justice system exactly. and in relationships in general. Everyone yes. looks at the exact same picture, at the exact same painting, at the exact same image, and they come up with two completely different um, opinions on what they just saw, even though they just looked at the same thing. Yeah, this all plays into creation theory, Big Bang Theory, all those <laughs> things. It's all the same. It's bigger than the dress. <laughs> the dress is symbolic of a larger problem, of a larger issue. Eyewitness identification when it comes to crimes, for example. Exactly. Eyewitnesses are all wrong, man, because they are looking at people and they're just, they got the white and they think it's white and gold, but in reality, that person's blue and black or something like that. It's yeah. all ridiculous. It's infinite, really. The amount of what, what, what is happening every time someone looks at that dress mm -hmm. is an alternate universe is being created in which the dress is black and gold or the dress right. is black and blue or the dress is white and gold. And whatever shade of these various clothes we're talking about, the world's fucked up, man. The only reason the internet was no longer trending, uh, Twitter was no longer trending with hashtag the dress is because Spock died. It took the death of Leonard Nimoy to get the internet off of the dress craze, the phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was madness. I mean, what, what does it say? What what is it? Did you when I initially saw the dress, I was playing shuffleboard at a bar called Rolla Rocka Rolla Rocka, which is a terrible name for a bar, but the shuffleboard was fun and I enjoyed every minute of it. Everyone who looked at the dress, I initially said white and gold. The people who were in the blue and black camp, it was almost a mini version of Lord of the Flies. Everyone kind of separated. It was it was me and another dude. Who turned out to be kind of a douche, but I didn't find that out later. It's always about four beers in when you realize somebody's a douche. When they take the game of shuffleboard a little bit too seriously mm. and nearly punch a woman. Um, <laughs> which is sort of what happened. you got to calm it down, dude. Um, wait, wait, this guy nearly punched a woman? Well, he was just getting very aggressive with the game of shuffleboard in the back of a bar called Rockarola. And I was like, have you never competed at anything before? This is why kids do need to have some sort of athletic um, experience growing up, just so when they're yeah. 34 years old in the back of a bar, they don't cockblock themselves because of their so-called competitiveness. All yeah. of a sudden, it shows up you when they're playing have, a meaningless game of shuffleboard. You got to have some release. Like, you have to hit something. And if you don't have something that you hit as a child, like a ball or a totally. tree or a bag, 
you hit a woman, and that's the wrong thing to hit. It's the wrong thing to hit. You can't hit a woman, a woman, and you, you really shouldn't be hitting too many people in general unless it's sanctioned yes. by some sort of WAB, WBA or sport. But this guy was very upset uh, with uh, with the other five people who saw the blue and the black. So it was me and this other dude, five people against us. I mean, it was a uh, it was a screaming argument. But the crazy thing is, both were right. I guess technically we were wrong. But we were right in that we did accurately depict what we thought we saw. Yeah. Well, people get angry when everything they know about reality is challenged in an instant. And that's exactly what it did. That's what it did. This ridiculous small dress is just so much larger than what it actually is. But I'm sticking by my original opinion. There is no way that I saw any black and blue on that dress whatsoever. And this is why the criminal justice system needs to reform everything they do when it comes to eyewitness accounts. The human eye cannot be trusted. And I was thinking about this recently. We need a robot president. Every, yeah. everyone, You know, people are very concerned about robots uh, in the police force, you know, robots, uh, you know, running um, it being being put in positions of power. Where I don't can, even like robots delivering my shit off of Amazon. You, you don't know? like it whatsoever? No. You're scared of the robot. I'm scared of them. But the robot would have seen the dress in blue and black as the dress is. One thing robots care about is facts. That's that's in true. That's true. That's yeah. the one thing I know for sure that they care about. That is very, very true. And robots wouldn't uh, would not have gotten this thing wrong. Anyway. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Of course, you're shooting the show, uh, the true TV show, Friends of the People. You are, yeah. You're going to start shooting season two pretty soon. We start shooting on Monday. That's good. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be intense. I mean, I think schedule wise, this is better for us. We we're going to go shoot straight instead of breaking it up and all types of bullshit. How many uh, how many days are you guys shooting straight, or how many weeks? It's five weeks shooting, two weeks production, and then five weeks back on. Oh, okay, nice. So it's just going to be like. You know, the past, like, month or so, I've had, like, no life really whatsoever. It's just been, like, 12 to 16, 17-hour days writing. Right. So it's going to be the same thing shooting, which is probably better, like, for my soul, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you're a very talented guy. We were talking, uh, well, we know, we've know we known each other for years now, but uh, I love that story that you were saying when you were a kid, and you had to, uh, you had to play the piano for a talent show, a talent oh, yeah. competition. And uh, what, what song were you playing? <laughs> I still don't remember what it was. Yeah. But it was just like uh This was in Florida? This is in Florida. And how old were you? I don't know, probably fourth grade, fifth grade or something like that. And I was playing at a I think the Dade County Youth Fair or something Uh-oh. like that. And I was supposed to go up and introduce my piece and myself. But I was like, I right, hey everybody, uh, my name is Kevin Barnett. I'm playing this piece by uh it's by you know what, y'all don't worry about that, man. I'm just going to play it. <laughs> I sat down and I played this song. Because, you know, you have to memorize the pieces right. and, like, you don't look at, once you memorize, you don't look at the music anymore. So I right. probably hadn't looked at the music in, like, three weeks and just didn't realize I didn't know the name of what I was playing when I was up there. And then you crushed it. You you uh, you crushed the, oh, uh, yeah, the man. piece. After playing that, I fucked a bunch of Latin chicks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool. In fourth grade, you just yeah, had sex with a whole grade. series of I Latin. Stay hard, women. man. I'm always hard all the time. They've said that about you. That's yeah, why yeah, your yeah, nickname yeah. is Walking Felony, <laughs> Kevin Walking Felony <laughs> Barnett. That's yeah, that's not bad. That seems like an awfully young age to be able to play classical music. Fourth grade. Are you? A, what do they call that? A savant? No, 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 man. I was fourth grade. I couldn't even play. The, I literally got kicked out of uh, music class in fourth grade because I couldn't do the recorder. That thing was tricky because you got to block all the holes and stuff, and my hands were so damn fat. I was blocking two holes with each finger. The whole thing was off. Yeah, yeah. The recorder was tough, man. recorder was tough. Piano it was, was tough, right? Yeah. Everyone talks about how the recorder was the easiest instrument you can possibly play. That's why they let lower-skilled individuals start with it. But I'm telling you, it was difficult. <laughs> hot cross buns was impossible. Dude, hot cross buns, what are they, number one? Nobody knows. Is it a food? Is it, is, it, is it a, a description of a stripper at a club? Niggas is writing songs about hot cross buns and no one even knows what they're fucking saying. I've never seen a hot cross bun. I have no idea what a hot cross bun refers to. All I know is I couldn't play the goddamn song on a recorder and I got kicked out of class for it. As hard as hot cross buns is to play, I'm sure making a hot cross bun is even more difficult. It's got to be. I've never seen one. <laughs> one all, I do is, all I do is eat dough. I'm king dough. <laughs> People say that about me. I'm King Carb. I can't get enough of anything that rises in the oven. I think it's life. 
Love a carbohydrate. Love a good carb and love a good yeast. You know, yeast is the it's the microcosm of how the world was formed. Yeah, we got to figure out what these hot cross buns are, man. Exactly. If you know what a hot cross bun is, uh, please message me on Twitter at Ben Kissel. Send me a picture of a hot cross bun. And better yet, if you have a recorder and you know how to play hot cross buns, let me hear it. I would love to hear that song actually played right because I never heard it right. Yeah, if there's one person in this world that has ever correctly played hot cross buns, please send it in. It's madness. I don't know what it sounds like. No clue. No hot it cross buns. Hot cross. I'm rock hard already. <laughs> you know, I'm just immediately thinking of some uh, large voluptuous woman when I was in, what was it, fourth grade. Who was the chick in fourth grade? Maybe Carmen Electra. Carmen Electra was killing it back then. Yeah. We had yeah. Jenny McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She might have been a little bit older with the singled out. Fourth yeah. grade for me, what was that? So that was like 93, 94. So that was still skinny white chicks with big tits, I think. I think f- for me around then, like I think Spice Girls were just starting to come out or something. I'll tell something you, man, with. Spice Girls were very controversial when they initially came out. I was the only one into Baby Spice. Everyone was into um, everyone was into the one that David Beckham's banging now, uh, Victoria Beckham. Not banging, they're married. Show some respect, Ben. <laughs> I apologize, Mr. Beckham and Mrs. Beckham. You guys have a beautiful family and wonderful kids i don't remember which one was which i just when i was well baby was the thick one baby was the one with the butt yeah and the little titties and then that sort of a cherub face and this is before because the big butt didn't girls nowadays don't realize how much more difficult it was to be thick back in the early 90s because we were coming off of that 1980s coke look the no tits and no butt just like we're lost man it was weird there's nothing better than a big Big old butt. Well, you have to have something. Yeah. You, you have to have some substance uh, to who you are as a person. The 90s was a strange time, man. 90s were ridiculous because we sort of melted. We it was, a, it was like you got that 80s, real skinny cocaine, just like bizarre looking plastic when, when yeah. big fake titties were in. And, and all those look all different and odd now, like a, like a strange wave that's sort of half frozen coming over um, in Bay Ridge or something like that. Yeah. And... Um, and then in the mid-90s, then we started to get a little bit more hip-hop. Missy Elliott started to come out. And yeah. then the bigger body was beginning to get the respect, but not nearly as much as it is now. So Kim Kardashian couldn't have broken the internet had it been around in the early 90s because yeah. no one would have cared. There was thousands of Kim Kardashians walking around. You know mm-hmm. what they were? Unloved. Nobody Unloved. wanted to do anything with those chicks. And even, even more, even more important to somebody like Kim Kardashian, unnoticed. Unnoticed. It's sad different time it's it is interesting how going even back to the dress thing how our perspective of what beauty is especially when it comes down to chicks um how it changes through generations yeah you know because you look at those those 19 like i love like the 60s hips uh hips uh hippie chicks like they're very attractive the 70s gals um you know they were like they had some cool class, like that Gloria Steinem look back in the day with some tight-ass pants, yeah, yeah. nice shirts, some good glasses. Then 80s, I don't know what the hell happened with the 80s and the girls, dude. Some, It was dudes with small dicks were making the decisions on who we were supposed to like <laughs> and who we were supposed to think was attractive because these chicks, you could have a micro and get it in. Yeah. And that's never why they didn't have any butts. It's not dudes with small dicks are never supposed to be making the decisions. Never. And unfortunately, they all do. Sad, man. It's a sad world we live in. Back in like, you know. That should be, you know how presidents got to show their tax returns. They got to show. We got to know every single thing about them from their entire life. The one piece of information we never get is their dick size. And I got to know. <laughs> presidents need to show their dicks. Yeah. We all got to know. And I'm including Hillary in this. You know she's got something she's down got there that's packing. Dangling. She's dangling. She's got some. She's got some, uh, you know, something that something that would let us know how she's going to lead. Yeah. You know, that's what it, because these small dick dudes, man, look at Vladimir Putin. He just assassinated the dude who killing uh, everybody. He's killing everyone. That's what you do with a small Tiny dick. dick. Tiny dick. Anyway, you were going to say. Oh, I don't even remember what I was saying. It doesn't I just matter. got so thrown off thinking about all these tiny dicks. Tiny I'm dicks. Right, man. Running the world. Well, not anymore. Kevin Barnett's running the world now. <laughs> hard, so, man. Always hard. Fourth grade, you were playing the piano. When did you start picking up your, because uh, you got a love for music. You got a fascination for music. But this is something yeah. that, did your parents instill it in you? Or did you go out at a young age and really seek it out? They didn't really, I mean. Because you're, you're first gen too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a first generation as well, and your parents are Jamaican. Yeah. yeah. They, they didn't really instill nothing in me. I guess I just like, 
Well, they, you know, it's the standard thing. Oh, we'll put him into piano lessons or whatever. But I think I like right. wanted. I really wanted to, and I would listen to a lot of jazz when I was a kid. Just like who's I would the like, best jazz musician, or who is your favorite growing up, and and has it changed uh, now? My favorite growing up is. I feel like it's all distorted too, with what like when I went to jazz school and all that. Oh but yeah. Like, my favorite modern dude. I would say now is this dude Joshua Redman. He's a saxophone player. He's a beast. Yeah. But um, back in the day, uh, Sonny Rollins is a saxophone player, also another tenor sax player. Mm-hmm. And those are the dudes who I'd listen to like nonstop and just study. Was Sonny Rollins? Was, he has such a crazy story too because he came up with like you know people know like John Coltrane and all those other fucking people. He was like in that class sort of. Right. But there was a while where the dude was like frustrated with himself, even though he was like the best dude at the time. Yeah. And he just kind of like went away for like however many years and just lived under the Brooklyn Bridge and just would play under the Brooklyn Bridge and just do that. Just be completely alone playing under the Brooklyn Bridge. Wow. And just came back and became like a legend. That's awesome. Yeah. Did he ever do hot cross buns? <laughs> I'm sure that was the frustration. <laughs> he was like, I can't fucking get this hot cross buns. Let me oh live under God. this bridge for two years. It's difficult. So you were a kid who was into like classical jazz at a young age. I can't imagine you went to school and were just like, "Yo, I love this." Uh, um, uh, the, what was his name? I apologize. Oh, Sonny Rollins. Yeah, Sonny Rollins. I love yeah. Sonny Rollins so much, and everyone's like, "Who the fuck is that?" And who the fuck are you? It was weird, and I feel like also too, like I was like sort of like I was a very morbid kid. Yeah, like my dad used to yell at me for being too morbid. And shit. In what sense? I, I don't know. I, I think I would just like talk about dying a lot. I God. still kind of do, but yeah, in a yeah, joking yeah. way. I'm always like, yeah, we all going to die. I say it every day. Right. It's almost a catchphrase. So when I'm yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to people, I'm like, it don't matter. We all going to die. I say it all the time. Right. But I used to like, uh, there's this one piano player, uh, a composer named Rachmaninoff who I'd listen to a lot. And I would literally, and he plays the saddest, darkest it's basically what, like, if you were to think of what teen angst would be, like, right. in the 1800s, it's exactly what this dude was doing. Personified in this dude's music. Yeah, yeah. And he would just, it was, this shit was just so sad. <laughs> and I would, like, literally just have some of that shit. I have a CD of Rachmaninoff and just put it in, in a computer room and just sit in the dark by myself and just reflect as a child. I would just sit it's there so hilarious. and reflect in the dark listening to this sad-ass piano music. And your father was like, what is he reflecting about? And what were you reflecting about? <laughs> like the, know, the fish sticks that you had at lunch <laughs> the, the last day in school or something? It was so much weird shit. Like I, I, you know, I used to watch all the you know, Disney movies, but I would never be on the side of the heroes. Like I would always like... Right. You know, I would watch Lion King and I'd look at what Scar was doing and just relate. Like, Scar was always (laughs) my dude. All my favorite songs in the Disney movies were the villain songs. They had the best songs. Yeah, yeah. They were 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 realists. Yeah. They understood what reality was all about. They They knew the struggle. They knew the struggle. They weren't wild-eyed youths running around trying to find love. Scar already knew you're going to divorce that chick in five years, dude. Exactly, man. It's ridiculous. Simba is just, all it is is privilege. You know? Mm-hmm. Scar was cast out into the dark, and yep. he came. He worked his ass off to take over yep. that fucking Serengeti. Yeah, maybe shit went bad a little bit after Sometimes. he took over, but the dude worked hard, and he right. showed us that you work hard, you can kill your brother <laughs> and take over everything that I, he runs. Hey, man, I got no problem with that whatsoever. That's sort of how Assad got put in power in Syria. His father died. His brother was supposed to be the first in line, but his brother died. So, hey, now yeah. you get that. Yeah. Now a former eye doctor just gets to be the king, gets the to be the ruler. of things is math. Exactly. <laughs> so what were uh, – so were you uh, – I would assume this didn't make you cool growing up because kids are, uh, you know, very into pop culture. They're very into what's new because they're new and that's what's marketed to them. So I would assume it wasn't like, oh, yeah, let's go talk to Kevin about jazz. It's so fun. Yeah, yeah. Nobody did, man. (laughs) Nobody did ever. People would be like, I remember people would be like, oh, what type of music you like? Or like, what are you like? What are you listening to? Right. And I just be like, what? Like, I I didn't answer because I didn't have an answer that they would understand. So I just be like, no, I don't really like you know, I don't listen to anything, you know? <laughs> the stupidest thing you can say is like, yeah, I don't really listen to anything, you know? That's cool. I just play a lot of video games, man. And then I talk to them about video games. Dude, kids love video games. They yeah. love, they absolutely love it. And uh, you were you were growing up in Florida at this time, right? You spent yeah. your whole childhood in Florida. That's where you were born and raised? I was in Miami till the end of middle school and then Palm Beach, which is like an hour north of Miami. And Palm Beach, do you like that better than Miami? Nah, I mean, well, it was like a weird transitionary phase. So it's like, yeah. basically, we left Miami because our house burned down. 
Um, I didn't know that. When did that happen? Yeah, I'll tell you that before. Uh, it was uh, fifth grade, but like we were, we were there for a while. Where were you, goth Kevin? So. Very interesting. Man likes classical jazz, sitting in the room alone <laughs> in the dark, thinking. But what was he thinking about? Maybe flicking a lighter? <laughs> well, it was our... Kevin, did you burn down your house? I didn't burn down the oh. house. I wasn't even there, man. <laughs> All right. I wasn't there. <laughs> Basically, it went like this. I was at school, and my dad is just very much like he doesn't emote at all. He doesn't respond to anything with any. Even if I tell him like a good thing that happened to me, like "Oh, dad, I got this show. I'm doing this, whatever." Right. His response is always the same. He pauses for a second. He's just like, "Cool." That's his response, That's regardless good. if something horrible happened, something good happened. So I was at school, and my dad comes to pick me up from school. Like, he's picking me up early from school, and he never did that. Other kids right. get picked up early from school all the time. And I was all excited, and I get in the car. I'm like, yo, Dad, why, why you pick me up early from school, man? What's, what's going on? This is great. And he's like, well, the house burned down. <laughs> I was oh, like, my just God. That's how he, he said it, just so matter-of-factly. He's like, house burned down. So all my like, things are gone? Yep. And I, I didn't believe him. I thought he was just joking. He's like, right. I'm like, really? He's like, yes, house burned down. Then he just drives and doesn't say anything. And then we pull up to the house and it's just, everything is on fire. And there's all these fire <laughs> firemen everywhere. What the fuck is this? What so what did what did he think? All your stuff was gone. All my stuff. All your was records gone. were gone. All the pictures from childhood, my goldfish were all burnt up. They were burnt. Like they were you oh know, all the God. water evaporated out of the aquarium and there's like all these little crispy fish at the bottom of Dude, it. Dude, the last like, way a fish thinks it's gonna die is in a fire. In a fire. You know how difficult that is to kill a yeah. fish in a fire? <laughs> it's almost impossible. Oh it's surrounded by water at all times. Uh, if you're a fish, you're like, I know one thing not gonna happen to me. Ain't gonna get burned alive. <laughs> and then these fish got burned alive. They got burned alive. And the way they got burned alive, the way the fire started is almost even more insane. The fire started because the washing machine blew up. There Just was exploded. clothes in the washing machine. Right. Full of water. That blows up. House Jesus. is on fire. Fish so, it's, died. so now you have to move to Palm Beach. Well, we were still, this was the crazy part. So for a while, we are just kind of like bouncing around in, in hotels and uh, friends and family's houses and stuff. Yeah. And, which and was how also, long was that happening for? This must have been really traumatic, actually. You were in fifth grade? I was in fifth grade. It was like towards the end of fifth grade when this happened or whatever. Did you and, think uh, that this experience helped you out in future life when it comes to just hearing, like, just getting in the car and your father just be like, so the house is gone, all of your uh, worldly belongings are burnt. Oh, and the fish, yeah, they died of smoke inhalation. Um, so <laughs> has that helped you in uh, now in life? Because the entertainment business is so crazy and you get the rug yeah. pulled out from underneath you all the time. And to actually get something to fruition is virtually impossible. So the no's that you hear far outweigh the yeses. Has that been able to help you just kind of be smooth and cool with the uh, ups and downs of this business? I think maybe, but I also think just in the way that how my dad doesn't really respond to anything in right. any type of way is kind of was already in me. Because when it happened, right. the house were down, and it was like, other than like, you know, my, my cat died in the fire too. But other than that, like I was like, I was fine. I was, you know, it was kind of cool bouncing around people's houses and hotels. Like it wasn't like, yeah, yeah. and I've kind of had that attitude with everything like, I've always been like, oh, yeah, everything I have can just be gone very soon. Right. Like, in career-wise, all of that, like, I'm like, I'd be fine working at the bank, you know? Right, As long as right, I got, right. like, the internet and some food, like, I'll be straight. I think that's a great experience to have at a young age, not having this uh, <clears throat> immense emotional attach uh, attachment to uh, tangible physical things. Yeah. yeah, that shit can just go away. So and for now, me, I'm a, I, I buy a T-shirt and I know I'm gonna get too fat to wear that in six <laughs> months, but I buy it anyway and I have a great time wearing it for four months and then I still wear it for an extra two months before everyone makes fun of me enough about my titties and then I realize I can no longer <laughs> wear that shirt and it's time to get a bigger shirt. Yeah, that's move just on. Real life, you gotta move on. Yeah, and that that was the crazy thing. So it was like we we, we were bouncing around for a little bit and that was also the first time. I saw porn like in a video because we were at somebody's house and they had like VHS or whatever it was. And, oh, uh, okay, on television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't even like, I didn't know what was going. Like the chick was blowing a dude, and I didn't even know, I didn't know what that was. I remember just watching it, like, right. oh, what is she talking? I remember just seeing, and it was like some weird angle. And then the the woman just asked the dude, like, you want me to keep sucking? And I was like, what? And then <laughs> keep just, on I, remember, I was like, what is she talking? I remember watching that. And I remember yeah. saying that. And then I saw like, what is she talking about? And then she added it in her mouth, and I was like, well, she's not really. 
I guess she's – but what is she – I just didn't understand. That's hilarious. Well, the first time you watch porno as a young kid, it's bizarre because uh, – you just look at a bunch of dicks that are all bigger and weirder than yours, and yeah. it's like all like it's uh, the first porn I ever uh, porn I ever watched was a thing called Secrets and Lies, and I stole it from my brother. Uh, both of my other brothers are gay, but thankfully he was still in the closet enough to have a straight porn line around, <laughs> um, and uh, that was a lot of doctor scenes. Doctor a lot, scenes. a lot of doctor scenes. That's all I remember. And then I watched another one with my friend Aaron Wire at the time. And uh, and that was called Fire and Ice, and that involved uh, ice dildos. So ice it, dildos. Yeah, I remember thinking that that must really kind of that must hurt. It's got to be painful, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah that, so you yeah, watched the porno a, because yeah. you were bouncing around, and this we were, was the yeah, dude's we were bouncing thing. around, and that was the thing. Like you know, I, you know, as a kid, you know, you've seen like I'd never seen a, a white penis before. Right. You never right. think about that. How like you can be this story, white or black and never right. see the other side of it. Mm-hmm. I've never seen one, and uh. It was just so red. <laughs> I didn't know that it, I was like, how is it? It's so red. I was lost. I was so confused. Right, right. Do you tend to watch porno with uh, with black dudes? I don't, I mean, it does not, really. not matter. Yeah, it I don't really care. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. I don't just yeah. like. There's a lot of people, and uh, this is a very, this is a large gray area. How racist do you have to be? To not watch anything other than white dick in your porno, there are a lot of dudes who refuse to do that. They would refuse yeah. to watch a black dick in their porno, but it's like, why are you even focusing on that? But you I think know? a lot of the times, though, too, like they'll make the black dude like some type of caricature, and he's all like, he's fucking her, but he's mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just keeps yelling out all this shit. Jermaine like, Fowler, who was on the show yeah. previously a couple of weeks ago, great episode. Uh, go back and give that a listen. Uh, has a great bit about it's always like black dudes versus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something, something versus whatever. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, you going to be all right. Like, it, it really is like, why? I, I don't understand. Like, whenever a lot of the times when I watch, like, the, the point of the black dudes in it, like, the. Like they just so like they like staring the girl down all right. hard like they're about to fight her and they're just saying all this shit. Right. But the white dudes just kind of like you know they just sit there and they gasp every once in a while. I but- feel like uh, black dudes now are at a nice, at a much better time of um, being seen as full people. You know, yeah. not as just like stereotypes and cultures. Not every black dude is acting like. Uh, um, every black dude in a John Claude Van Damme movie or a Steven Seagal movie where they're just yeah, kind yeah. of like quirky from the streets, but you know you can teach them. You know, it was pretty much <laughs> like every single black character from 90s and 80s action movies, you know. It was like, but there's something in there that we can that we can form into a good person. But now you actually have, and I actually would give credit to a man that you've been on tour with quite a bit. Um, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, One Craig in, Robinson. Craig Robinson. When he came out, it was the movie where he was playing the bouncer. Yeah. Uh, yeah was yeah. it 40-Year-Old Virgin? I think it, it was, was 40 one of those year old Apatow Virgin. films. Yeah, 40-Year-Old. And he had this bouncer character that was just like so, you know, 360, just like every amount of emotion. Every, like he was just such a real character. Yeah. And I think that really helped like bust open the doors for uh, for an actual, you know, full a full perspective on what it is to be a dude. The shit he was saying too when he was like that was such a funny scene. But the stuff he was saying um <clears throat> when he was talking about like not being able to let uh like when he was not going like he's like you know how old you know but you you're not old for this you're not old for the earth but you're old for the bar and then he starts talking about how yeah, yeah. he doesn't he wants to let her in and he can't and he can't let in more than 3 point something black people. Yeah yeah yeah. But yeah. like bouncers have had that black bouncers are the most racist people on the earth. Okay, why is but that? But that's because they get the directive from whoever runs the place is telling them. Like, I've literally had bouncers tell me, can't let no more black people in there. Like, that happens. Wow. I've had, to my face, they've said that. Like, yeah. a white bouncer would never say that. They just, like, tell you to get away. Right, right. But uh, the black bouncers are literally like, look, they'll, like, they'll sometimes just level with you. Like, look, man, I they this for what they told me. I can't. <laughs> There's nothing I can do. Well, it doesn't sound like a bar that you should want to go into anyway. Nah, it sounds but ridiculous. It, it happens at these like there and, and there'll be little things yeah. too. Like you walk in and like you're wearing a hat or you're wearing like a type of hat. Like you're wearing like a fitted hat, mm-hmm. right? And then the guy is like, "No fitted hats. You can't come in." What is that? But They're- then you but then you look and you see two minutes later, just before a white dude got in wearing the same exact type of hat. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Like, what well, he's wearing. Yeah, like that's those are the times when they'll tell you. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? I just saw that dude walk in wearing the same fucking hat, and they'll be like, 
look, man, I, <laughs> they just right. there's, there's been times a little break it down. Like it's funny, it's weird. Would you almost rather have a society where we don't have to do? It's almost this proxy uh, racism. You know, it, it's almost like uh, they they try they just skirt around the issue. No baggy pants, no hoodie, yeah. no tight form. They just basically look at what black people are wearing and then ban it. Yeah. Theoretically, banning the person inside of the clothes as well. <clears throat> yeah. What if they just said, uh, "No, we don't want blacks in this one." But there's a there's one that doesn't allow whites and Asians over there. Go to that one. Yeah. Would that almost just be better? Just cut Rod, to the chase. At least you know where you stand. Right. You know. Right. The one of the one of the probably like. The most clear examples of hidden racism I've ever seen, which is just funny, was uh, when I used to live in Tallahassee, when I was going to Florida State, and there was this uh, this club, bar, whatever thing, uh, on the strip that everybody used to go to on Thursdays. It was free to get in, and then they had some type of like free drink special for a while, and then it was like really cheap after that. And it used to be, it was great and to be packed, and everybody would go to it every Thursday, and it was just so very cheap. And then somehow along the way, I think like FAMU found out about it, and so what's FAMU? FAMU was the historically black college, just like a mile down the street from. FSU. Oh, okay. But for some reason, the bars that FAMU people went to, and FSU people went to, barely ever intersected. Okay. But FAMU people found out about this bar, and how cheap it was, and how great of a time it was on Thursdays. So a lot of FAMU people started coming, right. and then it started becoming a thing where it got to be so many FAMU people coming. That a lot of white people just didn't go. It was a gen- FAMU gentrified yeah, they, they the bar. Gent- they reverse gentrified it, so they went oh in, and my. all of a sudden the bar was just—it was like fully black every Thursday, and none of the white people would go anymore. Every Thursday it would just be black the entire time. These are the and, same white people though going to a liberal un- a liberal university talking about how everyone should love each other and how not racist yeah, yeah, they yeah. are. These same liberal whites patting themselves on the back, and so they stopped. They stopped going. All the white people stopped going. And then so it was still a lot of people there, but I guess maybe it was less people. And then they, were, you know, they weren't making as much money or whatever it was. So what the club did in order to, to – they, they couldn't just be like, we can't right, have right. black people oh, coming man, in anymore. I wish I was a fly on the wall in this business yeah, meeting so me, bad. Me too, because what they did, they, they couldn't say no more black people at this bar or yeah. a certain amount of black people. So what they did, which is incredibly racist, but also smart, this is a bar that has nothing to do with any school. They made it so that on Thursdays you had to have an FSU ID to get in. Oh, <laughs> and so, so once they did that, it was like a couple weeks transition, and then it was back to what it used to be. <laughs> And wow. Like, yeah, well, you can find, crazy. I mean, that, you know, that is a micro of, uh, you know, the poll tax, the literacy tests, all these insane things when they gave blacks the vote. And then they're like, but it's going to be a little bit difficult uh, yeah, to yeah. do it. You know, you got the vote tactically, wink, wink. But uh, next thing you know, we need eight, uh, you know, we need a passport and uh, the past eight countries you were. And we need you to name every single senator that's in the U.S. Senate. You know, yeah, it's not going to be possible. It's, it's so fun. And there's another thing like that, too. I can't. What was the name? There was a bar that um, <clears throat> I can't remember what the name of the place was. But when I first moved to Tallahassee, it was like one of the first places we went in that week. And like I think Pitbull was doing like a free concert there. Yeah, but that was before Pitbull became like you know the party He's dude huge, that he man. is now. This one Pitbull was like a hood. Like he put his whole persona was like ghetto shit, talking right. shit back in the day. And so he was doing a concert there, and so we went to it, and the place was called. Something it had it had whatever name it was was whatever yeah whatever it was so we go there and we're like oh let's all go to this place let's just call it uh let's call it uh tropical bar. tits yeah tropical tits is, the, is yeah. the name of it this time right and so we all go and we're like oh this is dope this pitball shit is a is whatever and then a couple months later I'm going with some other people that were like country people like yeah. you know Tallahassee is a bunch of country people and they're like oh there's this line dancing night at this place uh let's call it Stetsons. Yeah. Like, all right, cool. <laughs> Sounds right. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm down. I never done that shit. I'll try some line dancing. Right, right. And I go to Statson's, and I'm like, this looks just like Tropical Tits. <laughs> it was exactly like this place. And what they would do is like they would literally change the name of the bar. Oh my god! For when it was Black Night and when it was Country Night, like the bar really? was called a different place. Like what they used to do with speakeasies and gambling places yeah. back in the day, a waitress would just click her tail or click her, uh, you know, little. Um, yeah serving tray and it would be a bunch of tobacco and yeah. poker chips and shit and then flip it back and it's a exactly. bunch of playing a uh, bunch of uh novels and shit fridays and saturdays it was a line dancing place and it was called whatever statsons and then the black night i think was thursday whatever night it was right. and that was 
What a totally different name. So obviously, I mean, you had your FSU card, so you were able to go when they wanted it to be a white club as well. Once snuck in. Oh, it's Kevin. It's fine. You know, you were able to you were able to sort of cross that uh, that racial divide. And growing up again, you were in fifth grade. You were you know traveling from house to house. You obviously stayed. I would assume this dude that showed you the white porno was a white dude. Yeah. So yeah. you stayed with a diverse group of people. You've always sort of been. Um, you've always. From what I have known, of, from what I know of you, you you've always sort of you never really stuck to any norms that that people uh, you know no one. Your mother always told you not to be a typical person. Yeah, not like, to always like stand out and be independent and be yourself, right? Yeah, that was like very much stressed in the house. Mm-hmm. So when you were in fifth grade and traveling all around, did you feel like you were more uh did you feel more introduced to different cultures than some other people or was that something that you maybe realized a little bit later on um by either white people's ignorance or black people's ignorance i i probably realized it later on but i think a lot of that too is just like south florida is very much like intermix like everybody most people can also speak spanish right like you're just surrounded by cubans and and you know they're they're I think at this point, like more of the population than anything else yeah. in Miami. And so it's just like you're surrounded by Cubans. I feel like half the people in Miami sort of have an almost Cuban accent, even if they don't speak Spanish. Right. And then, they, you know, there's so many, like, there's Cubans and Jamaicans and Haitians and a bunch of Africans or whatever. Then it's the regular black people and then and- uh, white people. And so I think everybody was just, you were just used to being around everything all the time right and was it like that in palm beach also when you finally got to move over there it was it was less so it was definitely less so and especially with the school the high school i went to yeah it was it was an art school and i was a lot of times i'd be like the only black dude in my classes um there's there's very what'd you think of that did you like being the only black person in your class it was it was interesting because i remember like getting there and people just immediately treated you like you were cooler Right, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. were like they were just like they was like, Oh man, he's fucking awesome, man. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know, right. Like they were just like literally every times where I you know, I was in a band department, it was an art school, so I, I did music. I was in a band department and like I'd just be sitting there and like people would crowd around me and just like ask me stuff. Right, like, like you they, knew. Yeah. Well I mean that is it's a it's a uh, phenomenon. You know, it's the it's the black god sort of phenomenon where your weight, your words carry more weight because you're representing everything these people will think of black culture for their entire lives going on. Yeah. uh, Until, you know, something either changes it uh, or whatnot. So there is a lot of did you feel like there was pressure on you to like represent a whole group of people or were you just like, I'm living my life. This is who I am. And thank thankfully um, you're a charming um, uh, engaging, and uh, you're a dude who doesn't mind. Uh, you're charismatic, but if you were just a shy introvert, I think it might have been a more difficult transition. Obviously, and I, but I think I was pretty shy, yeah, for a while, and maybe that type of shit took me out of it because it would literally be like teachers, and it wasn't even like I, it was like a thing where I was like the only black kid in the school. There was other black. I mean, out of my graduating class, it was a graduating class like two ninety. There was maybe. Maybe twenty black people, which isn't a lot, but it's still like more than one or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would just end up being the only one in a lot of my classes. And did the school then, have a bouncer outside of the front door, being like, "Yeah, <laughs> we already we got three point two percent blacks in here already, so uh, we're gonna have to leave most of y'all out here." <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. But on it, a it was, larger scale, everything just goes, it does come back to a bar bouncer and bar rules at the end of the day. At the end of the day, man, that's real life. I, I but I would literally have teachers. They would ask me, like, they'd be on whatever subject they're on. And they're like, Kevin, yeah, what, what do black people think about this? Like, teachers would right. ask me. <laughs> it's like, are you, you serious, man? What did, what did you know? say like, they thought about it? Yeah, it's like, look where I'm at. <laughs> like, right. How do I know? Like, We're just, learning the exact same thing. Yeah. You're my teacher. You tell me. I don't exactly. know. That that was the craziest thing that that would happen with multiple teachers. Yeah. Did you get any flack from uh, your black friends? Were you not? Was it a, was it sort of a cliche situation of oh I don't even know what do they say the Oreo thing white on the inside black on the outside I think it's cl- cliche and dumb. But did you get any flack for not being um, traditionally uh, culturally black? Yeah, there was there was a there was a decent amount of that that happened. Like because I remember there was a. And I'm still, like, into this stuff. I just can't. I haven't been able to do it. But I was, like, very into, like, 
skate culture. Like I was, yeah. I was trying to skate for a while and I was terrible at it. So I started doing BMX and I, so that's like it was all in the same world. Right, right. And you know, you just always get the crazy fucking white boy shit. Like they would say all that, and it was, but it was very interesting because there was a time where people would say all that and yell at you about trying to skate or BMX, and then. I think it was around, like, Pharrell was doing some stuff, and then I think it really changed a lot when... Pharrell started to change a lot, but I think it, like, really changed when Lupe came out with that song, Kick Push, and all of a sudden, it's like, two months later, I'm walking down the street, I'm seeing groups of black kids skating. And right, like, right. I had never, I had never seen that before. Like, it was starting to pop up a little bit because of Pharrell. Like, it was starting to seem yeah. like it was okay. And he, what year was this? Um, like, Lupe and Pharrell? Lupe was probably, like, he probably came out with Kick Push and, like, it was late, like it was like oh five or something, right? Like right. Oh five or oh six even. But there, it started to be pockets of it because of Pharrell, and I don't know when right. that started. But I just remember like through high school, like it was just like a thing. You, I, I knew a couple other black dudes who would do it, but it was like, a, like quiet. Like you know, I don't really you know. Right? You why, act why, like you didn't. What is it in in society? You know, oh, oh, again, going back to the dress, everyone sees things differently. Why the hell did we live in a in a society where there was a racial divide when it came to skateboards or any yeah. other physical activity. It just seems <laughs> like such a ludicrous thing to, for someone to make a decision that they will or will not do based on their skin color. Yeah. Because it's No, well, I, and, I don't, you know I don't now, ride a board with four wheels on it. You know I'm black. Now, now that I think about it, though, and I think it's like, uh, yeah, I would, I would see like groups of people after the kick push, which is later, but I think the biggest, what might have been the biggest turning point was uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Right. That, I think, changed so, so much shit for yeah. so many people. Because, I mean, I think even before then, I wasn't into it. Right. And I got into it because of that game. And it got me into, like, a bunch of different types of, like, bands and music. Whatever. I wasn't mm-hmm. in. And it was, it was like, the same thing. It was, like, my cousin introduced me to that game. I remember him coming over. And uh, he was just, like, he lived in Maryland. I'm going to visit. Like, oh, you ever play Tony Hawk? I'm like, no, nah, what's that? And he's like, it's this stuff, man. And he just like we, you from the moment you start playing, like you start getting yeah. in all the all the bands and all the shit that's playing. And you just like it's yeah. just. And from there, it was like there was so many kids that got into it because of that. Totally true. It's ironic that a fake skateboarding game actually did lead to some true physical activity, which yeah. is rare for video games. It's also a video game that you can actually translate to the outside world. You can't exactly play Halo and then go shoot up them all <laughs> um, because then you get arrested or probably got shot. Yeah, uh, You're probably going to get shot, uh, rather. But um, yeah, Tony Hawk Pro Skating was amazing, and it taught me how to spell the word skate, <laughs> which was really good. It only took me until I was 19 years old, and then finally, I, it's not a C, it's a K. <laughs> S K A T E. So, um, so uh, in high school, you enjoyed your high school experience, and did you start doing like, uh, did you do theater, or was it just music and just a- any stand up or anything like that? Because I know when you got to New York, what coming on five years, six years it's, ago? It's a little over five years. Like five you immediately years. Uh, you had a lot of heat when you were coming from FSU. You did Eugene Merman's show. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you got here, Eugene Mormon, of course, a very, very famous, I guess, indie or alt comedian, but he's just a comedian. He was like yeah, super yeah. funny. He's, he's just good. He's just hilarious. He's on Bob's Burgers, which is the funniest cartoon I've seen in a very long it's time. Uh, right up there with the Lucas, Lucas Brothers Moving Company. Um, so when did you start actually getting on stage and performing? Well, I, we used to, in high school, like uh, me and... Um, my friend Zach, he's here. He lives up here. He's a saxophone player. Amazing like saxophone had, player. Like, we were both saxophone players in school, but, like, I also played keyboard, so I would, like, sit there and, like, whenever the band director wasn't around, like, the thing was a lot of the band people would get together. Like, we would play drums, like, congos together, like, all, like, African style, like, do call and response stuff. Yeah. Or, like, I would sit at the piano and, like, he would stand next to me and play sax, and I would just, like, tell stories that were, like, funny and just had a bunch of jokes to it, like, that would punctuate with the music. Yeah. And I would just do that within the room. And so we would do that, and it was always, like, hilarious. And then uh, a couple times in high school, like, we performed it. Like, you know, they would have, like, shows, and they'd let us – we we did that. So right. that was the first time when I was doing, like, comedy stuff on stage. It was probably, like, 11th grade. And were and, you into comedy? Were you into, like, watching comedy, stand-up, or sketch? Was there any major comedy um, inspirations in your life, or – No, I wasn't – I didn't really watch any comedy – like, I didn't watch stand-up or anything like that. In right. high school, uh, well, no, stand up wasn't very cool when we were. In, well, yeah. actually, I'm I'm, a, I'm I graduated in 2000. I'm older than you are, but in the mid 90s, we were talking with Rob Cantrell uh, last week about it. Stand up was not cool, 
And so I didn't yeah. really remember watching that much stand-up either growing up because yeah. it was all, um, I don't know, I just wasn't, re- I just was not relating to anything those dudes were saying. Yeah, it was mostly terrible. Like, whatever I would see, I hated it. Right. And so um, I think the first thing that, that got me into it, and it was like why I would do the, the piano stuff, and it's funny because I didn't know it was that dude till later on, but it was something I think I saw on the Cedric the Entertainer show where it was Craig Robinson and Jerry Minor. Oh, okay. And they called themselves Illustrious L. Witherspoon and Chucky, and they just like this did <laughs> some uh, R&B. They did like an R&B thing uh, where uh, Craig was on the keyboard and Jerry Minor was singing. Right. And the song's called Somebody's Fucking My Lady, and uh, it was just hysterical. And I didn't know. Like, I think that was like the first time I saw like musical comedy at least yeah. that was good like i didn't know that you could do because they were like you know craig was like a musician so i was like oh shit and then so it was like that like where i would sit there and like the stuff i would do with zach that i was just like you know it was just like r&b shit and like right just like tell like a story and all and that i think that was the first thing that got me that you re- into all of that was that the first time you realized that you were funny or were, were, were you one of those kids that uh people were always laughing either with or at were you always like somebody who was uh, seen as a sort of a class clown type? Not really. I was just I was just kind of off. Yeah. Like you know, I was just you know just diff- like not like you know, say corny shit. Like I was different. Like I was, but I was just like I don't know. I would just say some weird. I was never like telling jokes or anything. I would just like say some weird shit here and there. Right. Right. I mean, and that's authentic. You know, I think there's a lot. There was the fellow who just won um, the Oscar. For uh, what was it called? The Invisible Truth. Um, can you Google that dude who just won the Oscar? Graham Moore. Graham Moore won the Oscar, and uh, or the Imitation Game. It was called the oh, Imitation yeah, yeah. Game. Graham uh, Moore. The movie was great. I heard it was a great movie, and he came out and he was talking about how he was depressed in high school and all that stuff, and how it was like it's okay to be weird and whatnot. But there's a difference between seeking out being weird and just having it, just being different on the inside. And I think I've always felt that way also um, because really when you are truly different, you want to assimilate as much as you humanly possibly can. Yeah. And it tends to be those more extroverted people who are supposedly different. You look at Adam Levine, that dude who's from The Voice. He's got tattoos. He so desperately wants to be, like, edgy. Yeah, he so yeah. desperately wants to be this uh, badass, creative, free-thinking dude. But you know he's a businessman. Yeah. He, he's Donald Trump. Yeah. You know, they're all, they're like, those business dudes are business dudes. You can, you can put as many tats on the body as you want to. I know that you're not that dude. Yeah. So did you find, um, and you know, Graham Moore was talking about it, be weird, all these things. But if everyone bees weird, yo, it's not weird anymore. That's just yeah, not, exactly. that's now a style. Yeah. That becomes a cultural style, and then we'll look back in 10 years and be like, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> Much similar how do we just thought about 1980s um, attractive women from a Warrant videos and be like, yo, what you thinking, Warrant? You could yeah, have actually yeah. had a hot chick in your video, but at the time <laughs> they were like, this is the hottest babe around. Yeah. You know, looking like a skinnier Paris Hilton. <laughs> so, but you actually felt internally just like as if you were a little bit different than everybody else. And it but wasn't I, a racial thing, per se. No, no, I think it was like, and I think I, I kind of realized it early like it was sort of I guess a mature way of looking at it because I would always like I think through middle school and uh even like for a little bit in ninth grade I was like just very very shy and like you know I wouldn't really say much because I thought I couldn't relate to people I was I was like all right well I'm not gonna have anything to say to these people I'm just weird man they ain't gonna like right. like what I'm talking about and then at early high school at a certain point I was like Oh wait, like who gives a fuck? I <laughs> I remember saying that. I remember like waking up one day, I'm like, well, wait a minute, like who honestly gives a fuck? And I would just I just did whatever I wanted to. Right, and I think that that is uh yeah that's something that every single person has to decide for themselves is to just realize. And you're fortunate to do it at a young age because high school is the year where peer pressure can like lead people to suicide legitimately, which oh, yeah. is like insane. Um, there was just a woman who was going to be indicted. I believe it was in the UK where she can. This dude was. Uh, gonna kill himself via carbon monoxide by uh, running his car in the garage. He texted her. He was like, it, he he was going through with the act. He texted her like, yo, I can't do it. I just got out of the car, and she just t- sent him a text that said, get back in. And then he went back in. He's dead, and I think they're Jeez. gonna charge her with some shit. So the words of peers matter the yeah, most yeah. in your life when you're in high school. It's crazy, you know. So it was very mature of you to like be able to kind of break out of that. 
yeah, yeah. At, at a uh, at a young age because that's a difficult thing to do. For yeah, sure. I would just do some weird. I did some weird stuff in high school where I was right. just like, I was like, ah, who gives a fuck? And I would just do some. That narrative, and we've talked about this a lot before, though, is sort of lost in a lot of these, um, especially with the black issues happening right now, the cultural issues in the country. There is there that narrative of don't give a fuck, do whatever you want to do is kind of lost in the mainstream argument when it comes to race relations. Dr. Ben Carson, who was just at CPAC, the Conservative uh, Political Action Committee, I believe it's called. Well, either way, it's a bunch of nerds that got together over the weekend, and it seemed like a great time. But he's a black dude, and uh, he came from nothing. He became a doctor. And that's sort of what his point is as well. Just do it and uh, you know, don't concern yourself with it. Do you think sometimes as a culture when it comes to racial stuff that we get too bogged down in the walls that have been put up by society like we were talking about earlier? No one denies institutional racism. Yeah. You know, whether it be a bar or the government or, or academia or w- working at a goddamn high school and trying to become principal at that high school, whatever it might be, no one denies that that was everywhere, and now obviously it's, uh, the doors have begun they're much more open than they were, which I think we should acknowledge. But uh, do you feel like that argument of just like just doing it, don't give a fuck, and there are no barriers? If you don't think that there's barriers, there are no barriers. Yeah. Uh, do you think that that would help a little bit uh, as far as with people who do feel disenfranchised and disempowered? Yeah, and I, I think it's like it is starting to be where it seems like a lot of people sort of are getting to more that attitude. Like, you know, yeah. at least in like you see like – and 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 rap a lot nowadays there's a lot of guys who it just it used to be like you had to be this and you had to talk about these things but it's also like very hypocritical because they you know people will come right. after people still for for doing whatever but it's way less than it used to be where it's like you know like there's i was saying like there's lupe was he lupe really was like he was sort of without lupe there wouldn't be people like drake where you can just go up there and be emotional. And right, like, right. You know, like, Lupe, I think, really kind of, like, broke into, because he gets very, he gets very political and whatever and all that other shit, but he was also, like, a skater, and he was all, like, you know, he was into some odd shit for a rapper to be into. Yeah. And uh, without him, there wouldn't be, I don't think there would be guys like Drake or, like, J. Cole or any of those who were talking about, like... Like Tyler, t- the Creator. Tyler, the Creator is uh, definitely, Odd like, Future. The whole Odd Future crew, like, all those dudes. Yeah. Like, Lupe really was the first one like that. And, uh, right, right. The first one that was at least popular like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, I think there was definitely something with, like, Odd Future and, uh, like you were saying earlier, with, like, skate culture and shit, and now with the... Um, with the uh, acceptance that black people are more than what we uh, stereotype them to be, yeah. there is this sort of great reveal going on in the entertainment business, I feel like, right now. Yeah, yeah. If you're a black dude and you like his, I mean, you, you're obviously, you love dinosaurs and birds and <laughs> anime and video games, skateboarding, typically not the things that you would think about. You know, if you were, like, in 1980s and you asked an average dude, like, what do black people like? They would not say pterodactyls. You know, like, that would not be the tip of anybody's tongue. (laughs) So it's cool now with entertainment, and I just want to get your take on it because I was thinking about it. Um, This is sort of like the boom of uh, the – it's come – as a society now, we're definitely more able to understand the full scope of what – a black dude is, and yeah. the full scope is very similar to what a white dude is, and, I, and, I and think an Asian dude. Basically, what it is is like, and that's always existed. There may have been like just pockets of people who were like, you know, when you were, when I was a kid, I probably thought there was maybe the only other person that was like me was the one guy I knew or my brothers, and then there wasn't anybody else right. around like that. But there's a bunch of them. But a lot of people were either like that and just didn't know anyone around them like that, or were afraid. It was like coming out, you know, like going. Yeah. It was basically like coming out because, yeah, I understand. Like being a kid, every kid is worried about what's cool right. and like what's you know. You idolize the people that are on TV, mm. and are in the music, and all that shit. And basically, during that time, everything that you were taught as what is cool and what's supposed to be is like what. You know the hood, like fucking. You know you just want to play basketball and you want to you want to rap. You want to, but it was like it was very like one sided as to what was cool 
and for, it wasn't like, to like be these, a young black dude. Right, and it wasn't as if these people that had different messages like, you know, like what Common does, like Common at the Oscars. So it was amazing. Yeah. Him and John Legend. When John Legend brought up prison reform at the Oscars, it was dope as shit. It was awesome. Yeah. That was an amazing, that was really the uh, the most relevant speech that was given all night was about the prison system in the U.S. Because that's yeah. something that is a, by the numbers can be changed and needs to be changed. Yeah. But uh, there were all those people, there were these voices in the black community out there, but they weren't, the white women that run everything exactly. didn't choose them to be on MTV. <laughs> and, and it's almost like it's not, it's almost like it's not even necessarily anybody's fault per se. It's like the executives are like, this is what is popular, this is what people are going to like, let's put out this, because they can only put out so much stuff, and they're like, well, this is what people are going to buy. Right. And, and people was, died because of it. Yeah, this East Coast good. West Coast feud was so real in the mid '90s. Source was the you know making bank money off of it, and people were actually dying for music. Yeah, it's, it's insane. insane. It's insane to think about. Like think about if when it was that, today. Did that ever? That never happened with rock and roll, right? The Beatles and the Rolling Stones. It was never. It goes back to what we were talking about with porno versus. <laughs> it's always got to be versus. You know why can't why can't NWA coexist or Biggie coexist with Tupac or you know whatever? But it but it yeah. was a it, that there is definitely something there. There was a was it a divide and conquer notion that these that these executives had or this notion that like black people are only interested to white people if they're killing each other. Yeah, it was it's there was something there that's going on. And, yeah. Like and who really knows at the at the height of it all like what was happening, but it was like that's what what, what was pushed and that's what became what people thought of the community and and what people wanted to buy because right. it was cool and interesting. And there wasn't so much room for other stuff. Now because of the internet it's right. hard like there's so much more. It's kind of just a thing of like this kind of shit has always been going on, but now it's like you can see it everywhere, and it's right. becoming more known, I guess. You know? What do you want to do uh, with the show Friends of the People, obviously, going on the second season, and you have a double, this is double the amount of episodes as your first season? No, it's the same. Oh, it's, it's the same, same amount? Yeah, yeah. Um, what is one of the, uh, is that sort of one of the intentions behind the comedy of it? Because you guys are, first of all, brilliantly referencing the 90s. Uh, at a high rate, which is genius. Bring him back, Urkel. I always call him Urkel. As soon as I saw Stefan Urkel, I realized that should be his name forever, and he should never get out of that Great machine. Name. Oh my goodness! And uh, so, is that one of the is that one of the motivations behind, um, or do you guys not even think about it when you're coming up with your sketch ideas and things? Do you guys think in a more macro sense of like how uh, we're representing uh, traditional black sketch? Because other than you guys, it was uh, it was in living color. And I can't think of an. And then, of course, um, you know Chappelle Martin and then, Chappelle, yeah. uh, obviously. But uh, but you guys, are you guys purposely trying to blur the um, the typical traditional black narrative? Not necessarily. Like I feel like we just kind of. I think the best way to go about addressing any of that shit is to just do exactly what you wanted to do, regardless of whether or not it fits into whatever category race-wise. I mean, it was just like we right. would just do, like we would just make stuff that anybody would make, but like we definitely, our point of view is a little bit different than stuff. Or right. what we find funny is a little different. So that's just like we, you know, we'll do race stuff here and there, but it's like we'll do it like a, from a pretty fresh perspective, I guess. And it's not so on the nose. I mean, the one thing, I mean, the Chappelle show is absolutely phenomenal. Um, but he took race on. It was yeah, a. It was a. When you watch the Chappelle show, um, I don't. I don't recall any episode that didn't play with race. At least in a few of the sketches, the majority yeah. of sketches really did. Yeah. The uh, the blind uh, black KKK it's member. One of my favorite things. Uh, Christian Finnegan, the great comedian who got his really his big break on that show, playing the white roommate in the yeah. black real world, yeah. uh, which was phenomenal. So, but you guys aren't being so on the nose with race. Is it more just like showing people, hey, this is who, this is, this is the kind of shit that we want to do. We yeah. happen to be, I don't even like the words ha happen to be, but uh, we're black, this is, but this is it. We don't, we no longer have to address it as the major issue. It's no longer an elephant in the room. Yeah. Like we, that's the thing. It's like, it's no longer, we can, we can just be what it is. It can just be what it is. And that almost sends a, a bigger statement, but we will, you know, we'll talk about race stuff here and there. I think yeah. somebody said this about Eric Andre's show, and it was like early on. 
Like Eric on, check it out on Adult Swim. Hannibal Burris is also yeah, on there yeah. all the time. And and what people don't realize about that show is like it's a, it's a very black show. Like at, at least in the first season, pretty in what much sense? all their guests, all their guests were black pretty much in the first season. Right. It's Hannibal and it's and it's Eric Andre. And and most of the guests that they had on were black, but it never came up at all ever. Right. It's one of the weirdest, craziest, absurdest shows anyone's ever seen i don't think and that so, yeah, black would be like eighth odd strange yeah. i would think it's, they were like gay yeah. would be brought up it's exactly. gay it's know? the last <laughs> it's the last thing you think about when right. you watch that show and that almost is a bigger message than anything he could have done if he was talking about race though that right 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 you know at some Which point cool. right just uh just going about it and just living your life because I think that that is a uh, yeah that's just got to live by example and yeah, then yeah. people will just follow yeah you know it's kind of showing like yeah it's just another thing of like yeah like he's not like he's overly trying to be crazy and weird like that's just like what he finds funny and what he does oh my it's god it's like he's showing you yeah like the whole the crazy white boy shit <laughs> we can there's a we bunch do, and of us we do it better just as crazy I don't give a shit Jerry West yeah. is still going to be the logo of the NBA and that's the only point of white pride that I'll ever hold on to yeah as long <laughs> as they wanted the do you know the NBA logo the dude dribbling the yeah, ball yeah, yeah. that's Jerry West and uh, there was a big push to make it Michael Jordan which it probably should be or Magic Johnson <laughs> or Larry Bird dare I say <laughs> but they were like no we're going to keep it Jerry West and it's got to stay Jerry West it's all we got Kevin <laughs> it's all we got. Give us Jerry. But like you were saying, uh, oh, my, I wanted to reference uh, the positive. Positive, you know, obviously racism, terrible word, loaded, um, and, and, and its root, absolutely terrible and awful. But you dealt with the thing I like to call positive racism growing up with the white sort of like the sage type thing, everyone thinking <laughs> that you're cool and stuff like that. Has there been any experience where you found it to be dope as shit uh, just being a black <laughs> dude where you're like, this is this is the best? If I was white... Everything would be worse. <laughs> um, because I know when you went on you went on tour, and you know when you go to these, I believe you were in Wisconsin, and Wisconsin's adorable. Uh, the white people there just so badly, so badly want to have black friends, and there's just no black people around. So if you are black in Wisconsin, you are like Kevin was saying earlier, you are extremely cool, and people can't wait to be friends with you. Um, but you were doing a show, and uh, and a guy uh, approached you, a white dude, who was just like, "Oh, hold on!" And then he went in the back and he changed clothes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the strangest things because it was. What a, did yeah. he put on? We were at Elks Lodge, and he was just wearing like some plain shirt, and then he goes on and puts on this uh, Biggie shirt. Like he just puts right. on his notorious Big <laughs> shirt, and he like looks at me like for approval, and it's just like, "Well, why did you? That's why good. Did you? Why did you need to do that? <laughs> there was no need for that at all." You realize you could just crush him at any yeah, time. Yeah. Just be like, no. At any point. Uh, yeah. No, nah, dude. Not right. It's just people people overcompensating is just, it's always funny to me. Because it's like, right. you, you can just, you can just treat me regular. <laughs> but like people like overstepping to try to be. When are we going to get to that? That is the part of uh, of the whole racial relations in the country that is just infuriating for me. Because white liberals are so ridiculous. Going. They put, uh, you know, black opinion on a pedestal and they so desperately want to like, you know, not seem racist that then they full circle it in and become racist. <laughs> I was hanging out with my friend. Uh, we were out at a bar and uh, this white chick started talking to us and she was, uh, you know, whatever, just obviously trying to be seen as a PC as possible, talking about how she went down to Georgia and how sad it was that the black people took the trains and all this shit. Everyone's just like, I don't, why are you talking about this right now? We were talking, uh, literally, we were talking about, oh, something about how fat somebody was, you know, and then she brought up this random thing. As a black person, that experience is very unique for you. Who is more annoying to you? A racist person? Who just tells you what's up, how they feel, or what are these white people? You're just like, I can't get my I can't put my thumb on why you're different, but you're making, you're confusing me. What is wrong with you? Yeah, it's just it's those people, like the 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 white liberal overcompensating, just like trying to, or or the the ones who are like offended for me about some right. stuff that happened, and like they or they'll tell me I should be offended at something. And I was like, well, hold on, <laughs> how are you gonna tell me? And I should because by right. telling me how I should feel about something, 
is like you're telling your child like this, you know, like as if you're looking at me. You're like, the child. I, yeah. yeah, I'm the child. Like I can't decide for myself how it's supposed to feel. Right, right. You know, it's just it's so that's th- those things will bother me. Yeah, it's got to be. It's just a different. It's an interesting experience. Yeah, for sure. I think we got to get to everybody is regular. And go from there. Yeah, if we're all just chilling, man, it would be, it'd be great. Yeah, that would be great. Um, awesome, man. Kevin, thank you so much for being here, dude. Oh, yeah, thanks, Ab. You are the best. Um, check out, uh, let's, see, let's see, when does the uh, second season premiere for Friends of the People? I think it's going to be in June, late June, if not July. And my second question, Kevin, and please don't lie to me. Answer me honestly, Ke- uh, Kevin. This oh. is the Ben Kissel hardcore question. Will I be coming back? As the basketball hoop. <laughs> God damn it, Kevin. I spoke with Jermaine about this, and I said I was pigeonholed as a white cop and a basketball hoop, a backboard. I was a glorified grip. But now I've come to really love the character. Kevin, have me back oh, yeah, as a basketball gotta... hoop. We'll get you back as a basketball hoop, man. <laughs> I thought at least my face was going to be showing or something. Just <laughs> holding the goddamn bat on accident because I didn't do a good job. <laughs> no one wanted to see my face. But you were the cop, though, man. You were the cop. I was the only, cop. Yeah, you know, you were there. We'll see. <laughs> we'll get you as like a goalpost or something. <laughs> <laughs> the next one. Oh, my. I'm the go-to inanimate object guy. <laughs> That's so awesome. Thanks, Kevin. And check out Kevin. He's also on a podcast uh, for Cave Comedy Radio called The Roundtable of Gentlemen. And uh, if you're ever in New York, check him out wherever he is. He's amazing. And listen to Abelgan's Top Hat, last podcast on the left. And I think that's pretty much it. Fat Boy Barnett on Twitter. And uh, I'm at Ben Kissel, and that's at Mike Coscarelli on Twitter. So check that out. And, again, feel free to message me and uh, and let me know. Send me your recorder videos. I can't wait to hear some amazing renditions of hot cross buns. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks.